Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO USA's private equity practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization. Hello, and welcome to another episode of BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. I'm Todd Kinney, National Relationship Director in BDO's Private Equity Practice here in New York City. Today, I'm excited to welcome two special guests to talk about private equity trends and strategies. First up, I'd like to welcome Alice Birnbaum, who is Head of Business Development at BBH Capital Partners. It's wonderful to have you on the podcast, Alice. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here. Next, I'd like to welcome Andy Cook, who is a partner with Southfield Capital. It's great to have you on the show as well, Andy. Good morning, Todd. Great to be here. All right. Let's, uh, let's kick things off. Uh, Andy, you've been with uh, Southfield Capital since uh, 2002, if my uh, fact checkers have it correctly. So perhaps you could tell our listeners uh, a bit about your role and how the company has evolved since then. Sure. Uh, I'm a partner with the firm, so I get involved in substantially all the firm's external activities, deal sourcing, transaction negotiation, due diligence, debt placement, portfolio company management, board level involvement, and fundraising. Uh, In terms of the evolution of Southfield, as you mentioned, we were founded 18 years ago uh, in 2002, and it was Andy Levison and myself working essentially on a deal-by-deal basis with more of a generalist approach. Uh, Today, we have 18 employees supporting both uh, an equity fund and a mezzanine fund. I spend all of my time on the equity fund where we're focused on partnering with growth-oriented, lower-middle-market business services companies with $4 to $12 million of EBITDA. I'm sure you'll have a lot of excellent insights to share, and uh, I appreciate that. So turning to you, Alice, as uh, head of the business development for BBH Capital Partners again, it would be great if you could share uh, a bit of background about your firm and uh, perhaps your role there. Absolutely. Um, so BBH Capital Partners is the private equity business within Brown Brothers Harriman. We've been in private equity for over 30 years. Um, We've raised almost $4 billion in capital across 10 different funds. Our focus is in partnering with founder-owned or owner-managed middle market companies across a pretty broad range of industries, including healthcare, technology and telecom, and business or industrial services. Um, We're a pretty flexible partner. We can be a control or non-control investor and can invest anywhere from $10 million up to $130 million or more with co-investment across our funds. Um, I've been at Brown Brothers for 13 years. um, And as you said, I lead our investment sourcing and origination efforts um, for our funds. So my job is finding companies that we might want to invest in. Awesome. Well, you you both certainly have a wealth of experience to bring to this discussion. So, Andy, I'll turn to you. I understand that uh, Southfield Capital focuses on companies and outsourced business services. Uh, so I'm just curious what you're seeing and uh, if these sectors are currently experiencing headwinds, tailwinds, or somewhat of a mix. Sure. Well, it's all relative in today's environment, but I would say in general, outdoors business uh, services are performing relatively well. Um, unlike manufacturing or distribution models, the companies that were focused on are typically asset light in nature and didn't have any 
supply chain disruptions due to COVID, offshore sourcing problems. Uh, and I would say by definition, outsourced uh, business services, it's not consumer facing. Uh, so there's no direct exposure to certain areas that were mandated to be shut down or severely altered due to COVID laws or regulations, uh, such as restaurants, gym franchises, travel and leisure, et cetera. Uh, and many of the deals we're looking at are non-discretionary spend in nature. So uh, one example I can give you is uh, in our portfolio, we have a, um, a tech-enabled security services firm focused on managing, monitoring, and direct security guard work. And in that case, we've been a huge value add for our customers in the grocery and drugstore channels, um, where in addition to traditional loss prevention and security services, we're now offering services such as access control, limiting the number of patrons based on square footage and the enforcement of mask wearing, which is a new and unique challenge that our customers have chosen to outsource to us, uh, which has driven a material increase in our business. So again, you know, a challenging environment in general, but we are seeing certain areas where there are opportunities uh, and tailwinds. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. Appreciate that uh, insight. So Alice, your, uh, your firm, invest across healthcare, TMT, and business services. I guess just focusing on healthcare for the moment, where are you seeing opportunities? Yeah, so for the past few months, we've all been sitting at home and our team has been closely monitoring the impact of COVID on the healthcare industry. We've been thinking a lot about compelling themes that are emerging that we'd like to try to get behind um, and how we can invest in them. Our investment activity um, in healthcare dates back 30 years to our very first investment, which was in a business called Columbia Hospital Corporation, whose strategy was to acquire and manage hospital systems throughout the country. Columbia merged with Hospital Corporation of America, or HCA, um, which today is one of the largest hospital businesses in the U.S. So that early investment gave us some initial credibility as healthcare investors. Um, since then, we've been very active um, in the space. We tend to look for businesses that both improve patient outcomes and reduce costs to payers. So to that end, we've owned businesses in home care, including a business called All Metro um, and one called Coordinated Home Care. Veterinary Health, we own a vet hospital called Ethos. Behavioral Health, uh, we own an acute care behavioral hospital called Haven. Outsource services to hospitals. Um, we've partnered with a business called American Physician Partners, which staffs and manages emergency rooms for hospitals. And HCIT, um, we owned a business called Best Doctors, which we sold to Teladoc in 2017. So this doesn't cover all of our um, healthcare investments, but it does give you a flavor for where we've been active and, and seen opportunities. Um, historically, we have been more heavily weighted toward investing across the healthcare provider services landscape. We're thinking about um, broadening that opportunity set um, and thinking a lot about some compelling themes that we'd like to try to get behind. Um, some of those might include the shift from traditional fee-for-service care to fee-for-value-based care, where reimbursement models are focused more on patient outcomes rather than services rendered. Um, cost containment is a big one. Um, costs are continuing to rise for everyone. So anything that focuses on cost containment, including 
alternative models of care or sites of care. So moving care from a higher cost setting to a lower cost setting. Um, consumerism of healthcare um, is another theme that we're really interested in. So, you know, for example, any healthcare IT tool that could better enable consumers to make their own health decisions. So tools that could um, better enable patient engagement, tracking, um, something like a technology interface that could help get a consumer to the right provider or drug or site of care. Um, so those are some of the areas that, that we're excited about um, finding opportunities. Great, I appreciate that, uh, that intel. Pretty uh, comprehensive answer, so thank you. Andy, I see that Southfield is collaborating with owners and managers to drive organic and add-on acquisition growth. So I guess it's a two-part question. How has that strategy shifted due to the pandemic? And have you seen an increase in add-on deals? Sure, so uh, a little bit of context here. Um, in almost all cases at Southfield, we're the first institutional capital into a business. And that particular portfolio company has never done an acquisition before due to a number of factors. It could be lack of capital, lack of systems, or they may just flat out you know, not know how to do an acquisition, even though they've contemplated it in the past. So Funds 2 is seven platforms, and we've done 17 add-ons. If you look at the growth profile of an average portfolio company over time, it's usually 50-50 between organic growth and growth driven through uh, acquisitions. Today, we're definitely still playing offense. Uh, as it relates to add-ons. Uh, we have four add-ons for the portfolio under LI today. We were, um, again, as you mentioned before, around since 2002 during and through the Great Recession, and we're seeing some similarities today where uh, there are good companies with attractive entry points in terms of valuations. If you look numerically at our add-on activity, kind of, you know, first half of 2020 versus first half of 2019, it's actually almost the same. Uh, deal flows held up very well. And I think uh, that's because entrepreneurs realize that there's value in being part of a larger, more diverse enterprise with an institutional funding source uh, to back it up. Um, and they may have either been impacted or hearing stories about people that are impacted. And when you have usually most of your wealth tied up in this one asset to think about some diversification, especially when it's tough sailing out there, um, can be a comforting thing. So, you know, in general, I would say it's a challenging time for obvious reasons, uh, the pandemic, the debt market's a bit unsettled, uh, et cetera, but we're still seeing plenty of interesting areas to deploy capital in what we think is an attractive risk reward profile. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I'm going to stay with you, Andy, for this next question. Uh, so Southfield Capital is uh, primarily a control investor, but the firm has uh, shown that it's open to minority investments given the right circumstances. So perhaps you could uh, expand on uh, the scenario where a uh, minority position may be an attractive option. Yeah, we are. I mean, look, I think there's, there's really two perspectives here, right? It's the owner's perspective and then a Southfield perspective. So you know, from the owner's perspective, you know, it's someone who's looking to take chips off the table or bring in capital for growth, but isn't ready to formally sell control. Um, 
you know, in many cases, we see folks who it's almost like a badge of honor where they haven't had to incur any debt uh, at their enterprise. So, you know, for them to bring in equity instead of debt uh, may satisfy what they're looking to accomplish. Um, and also, again, because we're, you know, typically first institutional capital into a transaction, many cases, uh, these entrepreneurs are looking to partner with an institution who can bring in operating expertise to help professionalize the business as it relates to uh, ERP and accounting systems, personnel. In many cases, we see underinvestment in the finance department or the sales effort to give you a, a few examples. Um, from a sell field perspective, what would work for us as an investor is we're not a passive minority investor. We like to be hands-on and add value. And our bias is always towards growth. Um, and we like to see a pathway to triple the business during our home period. Uh, now, obviously, in a downside scenario, we need some guardrails set up to help manage the business. If performance isn't where it needs to be, no different than a lender having covenants. But you know, we would seek to uh, deploy capital there where there are uh, very viable growth opportunities, um, either through uh, add-on acquisitions or organic growth. And look, it may be down the road that once uh, the owner entrepreneur gets comfortable with us, he or she may look to sell control position to us uh, at a later date, which would be open to that as well. So those are a few kind of um, areas where I think it's important to have perspective and we'd be open to doing a, uh, a minority transaction. All right. All right. Lots of insightful observations there, Andy. So thank you. Next, I'd like to turn to our coffee break guest, Verenda Graham, who is BDO's national private equity tax leader and also a partner in the firm's tax practice. Verenda is based in BDO's Nashville office. Let's hear what she has to say. Thanks, Todd. I thought I'd use a few moments today to talk about tax strategies we're seeing within private equity that you may want to consider to potentially help offset some of the financial impacts of the global pandemic. Preserving cash is top of mind for nearly everyone who runs a business. The CARES Act made some headway in providing loans and tax benefits to that end. The PPP program, extending the net operating loss carryback period, and changing the interest expense limitation are just a few of those examples. However, there are other non-income tax opportunities that funds and portfolio companies may want to consider as additional ways to maximize cash flow or mitigate tax liabilities efficiently. And these are above the line actions you can take now. The first is important for businesses that are fixed asset intensive, and that's a property tax assessment review. For many businesses, property tax is the largest state and local obligation and one of the principal regular operating expenses incurred. Unlike other taxes, property tax assessments are an ad valorem tax, meaning they are based on the estimated value of the property and are subject to varying opinions. Due to shutdowns that have occurred, either because governments had to mandate them or because companies have had to shutter their doors for lack of customer demand, property values are decreasing. However, it's important to note that assessed property values by governments tend to lag true market values in an economic recession. So one strategy to unlock the financial liquidity is by taking a fresh look at current property values with a specialist who deals with property taxes. Property tax appeals generate cash savings by challenging assessed values and reducing property tax bills. Another area to evaluate relates to customs and duties. As you're likely aware, on July 1st, 2020, the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, 
USMCA, replaced the 26-year-old North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. While USMCA retains most of NAFTA's rules, several changes to the specific rules of origin are notable. There's specific information that manufacturers, importers, and exporters need to understand about USMCA, including the requirements to take advantage of duty-free treatment when shipping across the territory borders, new certification procedures, minimum data requirements, and more. Many companies involved in mergers and acquisition transactions often neglect to consider the cost and complexity of customs and duties. Determining what is and isn't subject to customs can be a complex process, which should be performed by someone intimately familiar with the tariff code and the changes that have resulted from the shift to the USMCA. Customs and duties are above the line expenses and care should be taken to apply the USMCA guidance to obtain duty-free exchanges. Speaking of m I mentioned some of the tax benefits of the CARES Act, such as the net operating loss carrybacks. Those making deals and negotiating contracts should also consider the impact of the CARES Act on those acquisitions and make sure that they have the correct language in their stock purchase agreement so that the buyer receives the future benefits of any NINOL carrybacks. Unless it's explicit in the stock purchase agreement, the funds may go back to the seller. And finally, there may be some areas such as credits and incentives that can be employed to offset above the line taxes like franchise taxes. If a business is operating in a state that assesses a franchise tax based on the equity value, often that tax can be substantial because of the premium paid for portfolio companies. Many people think that if they're in a taxable loss, they won't need or use credits and incentives. But what they're forgetting is that there's often another potential above the line tax that can be offset, such as franchise taxes or payroll taxes. For portfolio companies and funds looking to manage their cash outlay, these above the line options can do just that while reducing the total tax liability. And now back to you, Todd. Thanks, Miranda. Now let's return to our conversation with Alice Birnbaum and Andy Cook. So before the break, guys, we were discussing add-on acquisitions and other strategies. Alice, I know at uh, BBH Capital, uh, you're an experienced control and non-control investor. Just curious how that flexibility has helped you, particularly this year with the, uh, the pandemic and everything else going on. Sure. Yeah. So Todd, as you said, BBH Capital Partners, um, we have the flexibility to deploy equity and debt capital in both control and non-control transactions. This flexibility allows us to focus our efforts on finding the best businesses and the best management teams, and then tailoring our investment to meet the objectives of that particular situation, rather than having a prescribed investment structure for which we need to find suitable opportunities. So the playbook that BBH has been running for the past couple decades is what we continue to run today. It's to partner with owner managers of businesses who want to maybe take some chips off the table, pursue aggressive growth, which requires outside capital, or some combination of the two. So over the past couple decades, um, most of our investments have been um, significant non-control investments. That flexibility allows us to deploy capital through all types of M&A cycles without having to change what we're doing and change our playbook we can just continue to focus on finding the best businesses, the best management teams. Um, I also think that when you partner with founders of companies, um, you need the flexibility to be a non-control investor. 
because quite often founders are looking for a partner um, who can provide them with liquidity, help them achieve their growth and the vision that they have for their business, and they don't want to give up control over their business. Um, and those are great situations for us. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Uh, I guess let's stay with Alice on the, uh, the next topic to start, and then we'll have a uh, follow-up from Andy. So uh, again, BBH Capital Partners teams up with strategic co-investors as well as through co-investments with the firm's limited partners. Uh, Alice, perhaps you can describe for our audience a bit about that strategy and how it's worked for BBH. Sure. Yeah. So there are there are a couple things we like about about co-investing. Um, we love co-investing with strategics or executives who can help influence the outcome of an opportunity and help bring expertise into our syndicate. We have these types of co-investment relationships in about half of our investments. Um, the other thing we like um, regarding co-investments is um, has to do with our LPs. We really like being flexible, which is sort of a theme today um, for us. And one of the ways that we pursue larger um, opportunities without having to raise a larger pool of capital is to offer co-investment opportunities to a subset of our LPs. Um, that subset would include some of our larger institutional partners and also high net worth families and family offices who do business with Brown Brothers. We wanna have the flexibility to write a $200 million equity commitment like we did for Edge Connects, our data center business, or West Rock Coffee, which we closed on in February of this year without having to make all of our investments that size. So we still wanna be able to have the flexibility to write a $50 million check in certain situations. All right, good points, good points, Alice. Andy, care to, care to share your uh, thoughts on co-investment trends? Sure. Um, well, I guess the, the first thing I'd note is, um, so for us, management typically owns 20% of NUCO. So there's already a significant you know, management rollover, which is strategic in nature. Um, as it relates to co-invest specifically, uh, we definitely do it. So roughly a third of the capital we deployed in fund two was through co-investment from our current LPs. And our general viewpoint is we view LPs as our customers, right? And uh, certain LPs have a model where they don't want to co-invest or not equipped for it, and that's fine. And certain LPs have a model where, you know, co-invest is something they clearly want to do, and that's very clear up front at the start of the relationship. And in that case, uh, we do certainly seek to uh, accommodate that. As it relates to uh, true kind of third-party co-invest, we haven't done much of that. Um, you know, we kind of prefer our management and our current LPs to get that allocation, but we would be open to it you know, in the case where it's a strategic co-investor who can add value uh, that would justify making that investment. So it's something we're certainly open to and have had uh, discussions in that regard in the past. Gotcha. Well, we've come to, uh, come to the end. Uh, it's really been a pleasure talking with both of you today. As I uh, said, a uh, several times here. I know our, our audience will uh, truly value your insights. And, uh, you know, I have to say, uh, as, uh, as part of the private equity practice at BDO, both of your firms, BBH Capital Partners and Southfield Capital, have been very good to BDO over the years with your transaction and portfolio needs. And we truly value the relationship. So thanks for joining us today. To our listeners, 
Thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show on iTunes. Until next time, this is BDO's Private Equity Perspectives. The views presented by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective firms. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Perspectives podcast. For more information on how BDO supports private equity sponsors, funds, and their portfolio companies with a full spectrum of accounting, tax, and advisory services, please visit us at BDO.com. If you enjoyed the show, we hope you visit iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of Private Equity Perspectives.